The battle over the cost of solar is flaring up again, even though regulators have already weighed in. That story coming up, but first, let's do your local headlines. A, quote, unprecedented spike in COVID-19 has been found in the wastewater collected at San Diego County's primary wastewater treatment center. That's according to the group of UC San Diego School of Medicine researchers who've been monitoring and testing our wastewater. People with COVID-19 do shed the virus in their poop even before they experience symptoms, which means these wastewater screenings act as an early warning system. In other words, we can expect a spike in positive COVID cases in coming weeks. Housing, not handcuffs. That is the message a group of protesters wants to send to San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria on Monday. Housing advocates are meeting at the San Diego Civic Center Plaza in front of the mayor's office at 11 a.m. December 20th. The protest is being organized by the San Diego Emergency Housing Alliance. That's a grassroots coalition of organizations and individuals who are focused on helping San Diegans experiencing homelessness. Criminalizing the homeless doesn't work to solve the problem, they say. Well, it might be a white Christmas in the mountains, but in the lower parts of San Diego, it could definitely be a rainy one. The National Weather Service says rain is predicted to arrive over Southern California either late Wednesday or possibly Thursday. From KBBS, you are listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of that local news you need. Hello, podcast listener. Full disclosure, I'm going to make some assumptions about you. This probably isn't the only podcast you enjoy. Blink if I'm right. (laughs) It's probably not the only thing you watch or listen to on KPBS either. If I'm right about that, then I'm guessing you make it a point to check in on a regular basis to see what's new, take in the latest and greatest, and then you go back to your daily life until we happily come together again. We're sort of like a virtual buffet. When you're hungry for information and entertainment, you go to KPBS and want to eat, uh, consume all you can, right? Well, you should know that when you become a member of KPBS, you're keeping the entire TV, radio, and online trays full of fresh ideas, like the tasty podcast you're enjoying right now. Help feed your appetite for KPBS. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. Thank you. California solar supporters are aiming their attention at California's governor. They want him to stop new rules from state regulators that will significantly raise the price of owning or leasing rooftop solar panels. KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson says the coalition hopes for an intervention before the California Public Utility Commission meets next week. Solar power backers were shocked last week when California regulators unveiled a plan to restructure how residents get paid for investing thousands of dollars in rooftop solar panels. Yeah, this is um, is a disaster. Bernadette Del Chiaro is the executive director of the California Solar and Storage Association. 
She worries the proposed changes will crush the state's largest in the nation solar power industry. It is an anti-solar and an anti-storage. This is an anti-clean energy, anti Solar business, um, this is the opposite direction California should be going. The California Public Utilities Commission proposal slashes the price rooftop solar owners get for electricity they sell back to the grid. The value of electricity produced will be cut by 80 percent, while the retail price of electricity remains unchanged. The 204-page proposal also calls for steep monthly grid connection fees for residents with rooftop solar. A typical San Diego household will pay about $64 a month and then pay existing retail rates for power when they buy after the sun sets. This outcome is is very unfortunate and and very much on the side of the investor-owned utilities. Matt Vasilakis is a member of the San Diego-based Climate Action Campaign. He welcomed the help the proposal sets aside for low-income residents. There's a fund to help pay for installation, and those customers would avoid the steep grid connection fees. Rules for businesses remain unchanged. Fasolaka says California's previous net energy metering plans got it right. They allowed the state's solar industry to exceed expectations for growth. California's energy office says solar currently generates about 15 percent of the state's power. It's very important for us to understand that that subsidy has resulted in over a million rooftop solar installations in our communities, which is helping us build climate resilient clean energy systems that can withstand ever more frequent climate disasters. Utility funded groups like Affordable Solar for All hailed the CPUC ruling, saying it doesn't burden non-solar utility customers with the cost of the solar subsidy. San Diego Gas and Electric has remained quiet on the issue. A company spokesman told KPBS they will not comment before the CPUC makes a decision because the issue is too sensitive. That is not the case for pro-solar groups who delivered a huge stack of public comments to state officials in Sacramento earlier this month. The Solar Rights Alliance's Dave Rosenfeld says there is still lobbying to be done because the rules have not yet been finalized. There's over 600 nonprofit organizations and community leaders and elected officials, the school districts and entire municipalities that have written letters and passed resolutions and sent that to the CPUC, again saying, keep rooftop solar growing, don't penalize anyone for putting solar panels on their rooftops. In this case, the CPUC clearly didn't listen to that. The lobbying effort is made tougher because the CPUC is in flux. The regulatory panel has a new president after an unexpected resignation last month, and another member is leaving to join the Environmental Protection Agency. That's why solar advocates are focusing their lobbying energy on California Governor Gavin Newsom. Even though this is a decision by the CPUC, this is a governor that has said that he is very concerned about rate hikes, about blackouts, about air pollution and climate change. And this directly will hamper all of our efforts to address those things. The CPUC votes on the rules in late January. If they pass the measure, it would take effect in May. But with uncertainty about whether the panel will be fully staffed for the vote, regulators could also vote to postpone a decision. And that story from KPBS environment reporter Eric Anderson. So California is expanding a huge state program aimed at creating more housing for people experiencing homelessness. 
KQED's Kate Wolf reports that the state plans to use $8 billion to fund projects that work toward getting unsheltered people housed. Governor Gavin Newsom started this project called Home Key a few months into the pandemic. The idea was to turn hotels and other buildings into housing for people experiencing homelessness. Now, as part of this expansion of Home Key, the city of Victorville and Kern County are getting funding. And San Mateo County is getting about $69 million for two new projects, including a navigation center in Redwood City. County Supervisor Warren Slocum represents the area. It's really going to mean a change in the way that we deliver homelessness services here in San Mateo County. Slocum says this navigation center, the county's first, will have over 200 units and will provide wraparound services when it's scheduled to open in just over a year's time. And when it comes to efforts to get people housed here in San Diego, as we reported last week, a new homeless shelter just opened in the Midway District. If you've been downtown recently, you probably already know that the number of people living on our streets has been rising. And existing shelters are straining to meet that growing need. Some of those shelters are quickly nearing capacity. KPBS reporter Matt Hoffman says this new shelter is smaller than others, but it is designed to help those with the most pressing needs. An old department store off Sports Arena Boulevard is the city's newest homeless shelter. It has 44 beds and is designed to help those with substance abuse or mental health conditions. We're launching a new category, a new program and effort that's designed to meet a need that is not presently being met. County Supervisor Nathan Fletcher partnered with San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria to make this specialized shelter a reality. The conditions on our streets are unacceptable. No one here is happy with the conditions. And that's why in the middle of a pandemic, we're sitting here and finding creative solutions to make sure that we get more people off the streets. These 44 beds, I want San Diegans to know, is just the beginning. The city is paying for building and operating costs while the county is handling outreach and treatment efforts. Family Health Centers has been contracted to provide C-Heart or community harm reduction teams. So yeah, it may be raining soon, but the drought continues. And as a result, California and neighboring states have agreed to take less water from the dwindling Colorado River. The California Report's Keith Mizuguchi has the details. Roughly a quarter of the water used in areas serviced by the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California comes from the Colorado River through the country's largest reservoir, Lake Mead. But that lake has been severely depleted after years of drought and overuse. It hasn't been full since 1983. Water leaders here and in Nevada and Arizona agreed to reduce their take from the river to avoid more dramatic mandatory cuts in the future. The agreement, called the 500-plus plan, was signed on Wednesday at the Colorado River Water Users Association annual meeting in Las Vegas. It requires the states to cut back on enough water to serve up to 1.5 million households annually. Officials are still negotiating exactly how much water each state will contribute. So I just recently discovered Facebook's Marketplace tab. It's basically like OfferUp or Craigslist. It's a site that lets you easily buy or sell a used item. 
At some point in the online buying and selling process, though, folks do need to meet up in person, and sometimes that can present some dangers. Well, KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne tells us that local police have set up meetup spots to make those transactions safer. Local police departments have set up safe trading spots. Officer Steve Bra is with the Escondido Police Department. Uh, we're a very well-lit uh, uh, parking lot as well as the, the security system that we have throughout 360-degree perimeter of our police department provides that extra measure of security for folks who want to come by and do their exchange in a safe place. Escondido resident Christine Filipovich used the location to sell an iPhone and an iPad. And because those items are both over $100, I didn't feel comfortable just meeting wherever. So I met there and there's... Um, cameras and everything, so I felt really safe and secure. Officer Brott says police don't actively monitor the spots all the time, but dispatch is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and the site has live video recording in case a transaction goes wrong. The Escondido spot is in the parking lot by police headquarters on Center City Parkway. The San Diego Police Department also has several locations. You can find those at the city's website. And coming up, the term Latinx is gaining popularity across media outlets. But while the term resonates for some, others just are not into it. That story after a quick break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Latino, Hispanic, Latinx, Chicano, there are lots of different ways to express one's own Latinidad or Latin identity. Race and equity reporter Christina Kim talks with community members about the different ways they identify and how they feel about the term Latinx. The way people choose to identify is always changing, especially when it comes to defining Latinidad or anyone of Latin American descent here in the United States. At KPBS, we're now using the term Latinx, which is a non-binary way of saying Latino or Latina, in an effort to be as inclusive as possible. But we know it's not definitive and has proved controversial, because how we identify and are identified by others can get, well, personal. That's something UC San Diego professor Ariana Ruiz, who teaches about Latinidad, knows all too well. It's the politics of labeling, and with that politics, of course, are conversations around race, sexuality, gender, all of those components come into play. So that is something that, again, it's so personal that it is one that is emotive. Which is why we asked you, our listeners, to share how you identify and your thoughts on the X in Latinx. We got almost 200 responses, and they showed how deeply many of you are thinking about this multi-layered issue. 
Some, like Priscila Vidal, who identifies as non-binary, embraced the term Latinx years ago. For me, I just don't identify as male or female. I feel like very gender neutral. And so the whole term Latinx kind of feels like that, but it also feels like it's its own movement. Others, like Rodrigo Tapia of Chula Vista, prefer terms like Hispanic or Latino because they connect him with his roots as a Spanish speaker. He understands the need to be inclusive, but thinks Latinx erases his connection with Spanish, which he grew up speaking. It, it, it listens a little bit of whitewashing insofar as the language is concerned. To me, Latino or Latina or even Latinx means that you're identifying with a culture that holds Spanish, you know, in a special place. Another Tulavistan, Michael Nzunza, also doesn't use the X. He prefers the term Chicano, a political identity label often associated with Mexican-Americans that emerged in the 1960s during the civil rights movement. Like Tapia, he thinks Latinx is a term imposed by white people. I've never heard anyone use it. I've never heard anyone identify with it. And uh, it's just a term, I don't know if it's going to stick or not, but it's not from us. And that's a big tension point. Where did Latinx even come from? Professor Ruiz says that's a difficult question. So there is no one origin story. Uh, the X is one that is discussed as coming out of indigenous communities throughout Latin America. It's one that we've seen used within Latin American feminist circles as well. When we're talking about Latin X within the US, the X is really functioning there to mess with gender binaries. Because of the lack of clarity about when people started using Latinx, people have their own interpretations and understandings about it. Alejandra Lucero Canan identifies as queer, Latinx, and Chicanx. And unlike Nzuzna and Tapia, doesn't see Latinx as a colonized label coming from outside the community. She likes using the X because it makes people stop and think about who has been ignored. The X makes me think of the people that are not often included in these conversations, non-binary people, Afro-Latinos or Afro-Chicanos, and people with disabilities. In the end, there isn't a single definition or understanding of any of these identity labels. But Ruiz says that's a good thing. And so really we want to think about it as embracing the tension, really leaning into the messiness that is a term like Latinx, like Latino, this question of Latinidad. It's not one singular thing but one that is much more multifaceted and has lots of different histories and experiences tied to it. And that story from Christina Kim, KPBS's race and equity reporter. And that is our show today. Thank you for lending us your ears. I will be back again for Annika tomorrow. And look, before I go, before I come back, do me a favor. And if you appreciate getting your local news when you want it, where you want it, via this here local news podcast, then help us grow by texting like two, maybe three of your friends and telling them about this resource. Thank you in advance. <laughs>